0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot.
1: Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to get started, get to work as we study this incredible book. And I pray that it's been a blessing to you as it has been to me, a book that demands a lot of intense study and concentration And so very important that we keep all of the word of God into context. But I will assure you that it's very easy to take this particular book out of context if we're not careful and appropriate good, clear, diligent study. And it's taken quite some time to uh, bring us to this point in place with study. And I hope it is a blessing to you. We're going to pick up tonight with verse number 13. And uh, I'm going to read this passage and then we'll um, get to work and uh, our verse-by-verse study of it. So the scripture says this in Revelation 2, verse 13, Jesus speaking, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Now that's a powerful statement. That's where we left off last week uh, in our study. Uh, And if you remember when God had entered into a conversation with the devil concerning the life of Job, and the devil was tempting God and insinuating that he could get Job to cuss and swear and and to blaspheme God's name, uh, and God said he, he's not going to do that, and the devil said, "Well, that's because you have a hedge about him." He said, "You remove the hedge, and I'll get him to fall to his knees." but prior to that whole incident in that story, God asked Satan. Where have you been? And the devil said, I have been walking to and fro, up and down the earth. We do know that he is the prince and power of this air, this atmosphere. The word of God clearly teaches us that. But when the Lord Jesus makes a statement like this, even where Satan's seat is. I, I don't want you to feel that Satan is confined to a geographical place. And I don't want you to think that this, this is where the devil's throne is. We, we know that God has a throne. We know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He is making intercessions for us. He is our great high priest. He is our mediator. God does have a throne, a great white throne. But when you read a passage of scripture like this, there is a very deeper meaning, and if we're not careful, we can take it out of context. But even at that, this was a most dangerous place on the earth. And the word says, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So let's talk about that tonight. Now I want you to look at this very carefully here. There's so much happening in this one verse. I know where Satan's seat is. Now, what this is describing is that this was a place where the devil was violently working. Keep that in mind.
0: And we know that he he works in vehement ways all over the earth. But for Jesus to emphasize
1: to this particular church, this church at Pergamos, he was saying, I know Satan's seat is here. This is where he dwells. What the Lord was in reference to was that, again, the devil was violently working. Now, to give you a little background about this church of Pergamos, and and I think it's needful for us um, to go into some of these things uh, below the surface of teaching, because if we don't, it would turn into a sermon. And I don't want this study and revelation to become a sermon series. I want it to be a teaching series. And so I have an opportunity on Wednesday nights to to go beneath the surface and to keep it out of an outline and and to teach you. And and I hope that you would be fed in a way that uh, it would be uh, beneficial to you in your in your study of the Word of God. And so what I want to incorporate in this uh, introduction tonight is that in this place, Pergamus, there were four particular temples that had been erected to false gods. This is a little bit of why this was called where Satan's seat was. Four incredible temples, and it was, or they were designated for the Greek gods, the gods of this world. Now, there were four of them. I don't expect you to learn them tonight. I'm just going to mention them briefly, because unless I took time to study it, and and to get uh, the meat to what I'm saying, I myself would not recognize these names just off of the surface. It requires a lot of depth and a lot of thought. But there was a false god whose name was Zeus, and uh, that was a Latin name for Jupiter. People worshipped all kinds of gods, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, uh, mountains, all kinds of things. Zeus was a a god uh, that was uh, representing uh, the god of Jupiter. Then there was one called Dionysus. There was one called Athena. And there was one called Asculpus. Now, listen carefully again. I don't expect you to retain this. I don't expect you to um, get even the right spelling or the pronunciation. But Zeus was the head of all the gods in this location. Dionysus was the god of wine or the god of drama. Athena was the god of wisdom, uh, the god of art, and the god of war. And Ascuplius was the god of healing. Now I say all of that because in Pergamos,
0: and the Lord Jesus is speaking, He's talking to the church that was
1: geographically centered around these tremendous they were it was an edifice of, of a, a dwelling place, a gathering. And again, these places were erected to worship and celebrate pagan false gods. It was the social, moral law of the land. This is what people did. And there was a great price
0: of going against it. A huge price. And when Believers in Pergamos chose not to go
1: along with the system and to bow down to these Greek gods and to play the game. When they decided not to do that, it was horrific consequences. There were consequences all along the trail of the early church. People were martyred, burned at the stake, thrown into the arenas of starving, savage beasts. They were stoned. Stephen was stoned, the first martyr of the early church. But nothing, and I don't want to underestimate or to minimize those tremendous giants of the faith and the deaths and the consequences that they experienced because of their faith. All of it was horrendous, horrendously horrific, but in this place, in, in this church of Asia Minor, Pergamus, it, it was beyond uh, abilities to put into words what some of these Christians were going through at the very least, to simplify it, it was truly a place of pagan worship it was a place of violent persecution and that leads me to say and i've told you this several times on several occasions that the most prized possession that i have in my own personal library is this book right here and i'm just noticing that uh, it's falling apart and it's it's uh, tattered and worn but If you don't have this book in your own personal library, I would encourage you to get it. It's called Fox Voices of the Martyrs. And it records the martyrdom of early believers from 33 AD until modern time. It's an unbelievable book. I would encourage all of you to get it. But while I'm saying that, let me just step aside of the whole thing here just for a minute and say sometime soon I'm going to set a table up in the lobby and I'm going to uh, make available for you uh, and, and you can make a donation to the church. I've got so many books in my own personal library, I have no more room for them. In fact, now I, I just I have to release myself from many of them. And I have studied them and used them throughout the years. But honestly, I have no place. Uh, when I build a sermon and work on a sermon and I put them in a notebook, and finally have no place for them. It's on the floor, on the shelves, on my desk. It's everywhere. I don't have any. So I, the, the solution to that is to make them available to you. So sometime soon I'm going to put a table out there and you can uh, go through all of those. But this is one I'll not depart with. And this is one that I encourage you to get for your own personal study. Listen, when you pick this up, you will not be able to put it down. It's tremendous. But there's something else here in, in this particular verse, in verse number 13, uh, because there, there is an individual mentioned here that probably you've never taken time to Meditate on him, focus on him. You you really probably do not know anything about him. And his name is Antipas. But coming from the Lord Jesus himself, Jesus says this in the latter part of verse number 13. He said, "Um, Antipas was my faithful martyr. He was just as faithful in death as he was in life. He said, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth? So Jesus emphasized again, he did not want us to lose the fact, the thought that this was a terrible, wicked place. Satan was violently working in this area. And again, don't think that he was having uh Uh, slumber parties in other places of the world. That's not the case. He was was working very vehemently against the God and against the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, in the early church, with early believers, very much so. But this particular era, at this particular time, it was horrific and horrendous, and that's why Jesus said, where Satan's throne is. This is where, um, where, where he, he's dwelling. This is where he's working, where Satan's seat is. So I want to make that distinction, and I want you to get some clarification on this. Now, this man Antipas, he gave his life for the gospel. And Jesus, it, it was a very special recognition for Jesus himself to give him special mention by name. It was his calling. Antipas was a faithful worker in the church of Pergamos, and it was his calling to minister in a very wicked, vile, cruel atmosphere. We have no idea really what this man went through uh, for the cause of Christ. But Jesus had complimented him and also those who were in the church at Pergamos uh, for their standing firm and standing fast on the word. Now, in verse number 14, the tone of Jesus changes. This is interesting. And I want you to see this. As he compliments those few that were standing fast in Pergamos, he comes out of that complimentary, so to speak, uh, tone. And and he changes it. He says this in verse 14. He says, but I have a few things against thee,
0: because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught
1: Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So again, the Lord comes out of this very complimentary mode and he begins to rebuke them. Now, by the way, Balaam was hired, if you remember the story, by Balak to curse the nation of Israel. But when you read that Old Testament story, God would not let him do that. But he did something that was almost much worse than cursing Israel. Much worse to corrupt God's people. And that was
0: he introduced God's people to strange Moabite women that had almost irreversible
1: consequences. Because it was these women
0: in the beginning who basically corrupted the nation of Israel. These Moabite women, in their persuasions, they were able, they encouraged
1: the nation of Israel, to eat things that had been sacrificed to idols. That that was huge. That wasn't a little thing. Not only were they convincing the nation of Israel to eat things that were sacrificed to idols. Keep in mind, Pergamos was a place that was full of idolatry. They had four pagan temples. The Moabites, back in the Old Testament, they, they had convinced Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, but also to freely and randomly, uncontrollably, without conscience, to commit fornication as well. So these Moabite women, they did unbelievable things in the early days of the Old Testament. One of the most astonishing things when you stop and study the Greco-Roman world, was that they, they predominantly looked upon prostitution as a needful and an acceptable way of life. And in my study, this is what I learned from that realm of people. Back in those days and in this era, they had prostitutes for pleasure, they had concubines for the sake of daily habitation and they had wives for the purpose of having children and providing faithful guardianship for household affairs. So when you read the scripture and you read something like Solomon had X many wives and he had all these concubines, you may not have known the difference of what their role was in the kingdom. Now, it was not God's perfect will for those things to happen. And God ultimately brought a screech and halt to it. But again, they had prostitutes for pleasure. They had concubines for the sake of daily habitational reasons. And they had wives for the purpose of having children. So each one uh, had their distinctives.
0: But here was the problem because some in the church of Pergamos had started to go along with all of that stuff.
1: And that was a very terrible thing. They, they were not only going along with the immoralities, but there were some in the church of Pergamos who had actually started eating these forbidden things that had been offered to idols. They had started to partake of those on a regular, routine basis. And so when the Lord says, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and, look at this, to commit fornication. So Jesus is rebuking them, reminding them of of these uh, Old Testament errors. Now, I want you to see something here. In verse number 15, look at this. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So you have to understand there was so much spiraling out of control in the church of Pergamos. Jesus had given them a lot of complimentary aspects, but in this Next phase, he begins to rebuke them and rebuke them sharply because the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, most of their doctrines were built on superstitions, doctrines that were introduced by man-made oppressions. For example, the Nicolaitans had a doctrine that taught that it was possible for a man in the hierarchy of the church to actually forgive people's sins. Now, we know that's heresy. There's Nobody can forgive anybody's sins other than God, the Lord Jesus. But this is what the Nicolaitans were were teaching. They believed and they taught that these people in this certain sect of individuals, that they had the power over life and death. They were teaching that they had the ability and the power to send people to hell. That only they could interpret and meditate and deliver correctly the word of God. So you have to understand, in Pergamos, the church that was there had decided to go into some serious moral and spiritual decays. And it was affecting the body. It was affecting the whole church. And Jesus gives them a huge rebuke. As he says, I have a few things against thee. But I want you to see something in relation to everything that I've just said. In 3 John. Let's look there. I want you to get these scriptures on the screen for me. And 3 John, and I want us to read verses 9 through 11. He said, I wrote unto the church, but Triophes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. And so in in these scriptures... John himself is now, who, by the way, is writing Revelation. He's rebuking these believers who had now become gullible and beguiled. And to all of this corruption, John here in these verses that we just read, he he was rebuking people who were in the church leading and coercing these things. And by the way, there's a scripture in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 36. that would probably fit us right here as well. The word says, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. This gives us all caution
0: to be careful about what we say. It's very important. All right, so now we go to Revelation
1: 2.16. Jesus says this in connection with all of these things that we have just discussed and discovered in the Word.
0: He says, repent. Repent from all of this happening, all of these things that you're doing, all of these false doctrines. He said, repent.
1: And if you don't, he said this, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is saying, I'm not, I'm not playing with this. I'm, I'm serious. Repent, or I am going to rebuke you with my spoken word. Now, again, this is, this is in reference to the church at Pergamos, and he gives the Lord Jesus, he gives a stern warning. Uh, by the way, whether it was the church at Pergamos, or whether it's the church in Richmond, Virginia, the church still belongs
0: to the Lord. Regardless, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church
1: and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as
0: people in Pergamos were corrupting, well, intended individuals they were corrupting
1: people. That's what listen, I'm telling you one of the biggest responsibilities I have as a pastor is not just to stand up here and preach these sermons and to teach this word but but I have to give an account one day. I have to stand at the judgment seat and give an account for every word that came out of my mouth. But here's another thing: I have to be responsible for what comes in our church, what infiltrates our church. I have to. Otherwise we would be opening ourselves up to all kinds of whims and, and possibilities and, and falsehoods and false doctrines and heresies. I told you a few weeks ago that, uh, it hasn't been too long ago that a young man, he had, he had told uh, brother Adam that God had given him a vision. I don't believe in spooky religion, but I believe God does speak to us in in, in ways of unusual circumstances at times, and uh, that can be interpreted and worded in different fashions and phases, and I know what people mean when they say stuff like that most of the time. This individual came, and he said to Adam, God and gave him a word, said that he God had
0: specifically told him. To tell Adam to tell me, kind of funny
1: that I'm the last one in being told stuff, right? That's not the way it usually works. God usually speaks to the leader. It's not the sheep leading the shepherd. It's the shepherd leading the sheep. That's the way it's always been. But to make a long story short, I'm two minutes over already. He said, God told him that he was to come here. I was to teach him the word. He was to be my understudy, and I was to help prepare him for the ministry. I'm leaving out a 100 miles of deep detail here. but So I met with him on a Saturday morning, him and his wife in my office, and I began to question him on his salvation, doctrine, all kinds of stuff. And I said, man... No, brother, God hadn't told me any of this stuff. I'm not your judge. I'm not your Holy Spirit. And I, and I began to question him on doctrine. And, and he's, he began to tell me he lined up on this stuff. Now, one, one, we are not Calvinistic people. We, we do not believe that God has handpicked people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. We don't believe that. We believe in whosoever will may come. And if you disagree with that, you disagree with what I believe to be the Bible. And I questioned him thoroughly. I said, so you are not a Calvinist. Is that right? I don't have time to waste my time. If you are a Calvinist, we don't have anything else to talk about. I'm not going to get involved in it. Oh, no, I'm not a Calvinist. To come And by the way, there are five points to Calvinism. And if you're a five-point Calvinist, they call it hyper-Calvinism. There are five major points to Calvinism. But after I let him speak on a Wednesday night, three sermons, three teachings, whatever you want to call it, he then begins to infiltrate the young adult class back there,
0: and he begins to tell them, I'm not a five-pointer, I'm a two-pointer. Well, he just said he wasn't any pointer. And we had to, we had to throw the brakes on that. But here's the thing. This is what I'm talking about. Stuff like that can come in the
1: back door, can come in the front door. It, it, but I have to make sure it, it don't come in any door. And if it does, we got we to deal with it. Because the same stuff that was happening in Pergamos, if we're not careful, can happen to us right here at Beaufort Road. And as people were, let me give you I'm done. Let me give you another quick thing along those lines. You, got, you have to be careful who you watch on TV, what you read, what you study. The Bible says, try the spirits and see if they be of God. There is this false evangelistic preacher, and I don't mind calling
0: his name. His name is Robin Bullock. And he declares that he is John the Baptist. I, I couldn't believe it. You pull it up, Robin Bullock, you can hear it
1: yourself. He claims he's John the Baptist. He has a
0: church, and he's preaching this stuff. And, and I'm saying all of that to say this, that
1: as in Pergamos, When people started changing the word of God and drifting, when you start telling people you're you're the only one, like the Nicolaitans, you're the only one that can forgive sins, and you have the power to send people to hell, and you can do all of these things that are contrary to the word of God, when you open yourself up to those kind of realms and possibilities, it's, it's the workshop of the devil. We have to be careful of those things. I have a lot to give an account for in the end, and uh, we just have to be careful. So we're over six minutes tonight, but I don't think you mind. I think that was good. Amen? Praise the Lord.
0: You listen to Pastor Tony Kahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.